where we both teach and get taught Bitcoin to help you no matter where you may be on your Bitcoin journey. Today's episode is a follow-up on the previous episode we shot, really just around how Bitcoin causes fundamental changes in your life, you know, through your thinking and your perspective of the world. Really, you can't change Bitcoin. Bitcoin changes you, right? And it's, it's all centered around how money is broken. Really, a lot of folks feel like things aren't quite working in the world today. You know, people can't afford to buy houses anymore. Things are constantly getting more and more expensive. And we're not getting paid much more, right? It's pretty damn crazy. But when you actually seek to understand money, specifically the fiat money we use today, you begin to, to see and understand why. Really, the problem is that when money is money can be created for free, It'll get used and abused for generally what's what's saw, seen as the greater good, right? But actually, it's at the sacrifice of every single other person in the world. The magic really happens when you finally understand that there's actually a solution discovered back in 2008 when the Bitcoin white paper was magically dropped on the world, right? This announcement is absolutely going to to change Every, every way we transact in the world today. So that's exactly what we're going to cover in part two today. It's all about Bitcoin. And of course, I have my awesome co-host, Jason. Let me bring him on here. What up, Jason? How are you today, Woo! brother? What an intro, Alec. I love it, dude. Stoked to be back. Guys, I woke up today. I got my hair did. I'm ready to teach some people about Bitcoin. Let's jump in, dude. Dude, looking fresh like the cut. Yeah, I mean, today we're going to talk about Bitcoin. And really, I mean, some people may question, you know, what what is Bitcoin in the first place, right? It's, it's pretty simple. It was explained in the white paper simply as a peer-to-peer -peer electronic cash system, right? So it's, it's similar like that funny money paper we carry around in our pockets, but, but digital, right? And, you know, it's a completely open decentralized network, which these are some fancy big words. Basically, I can run this network on my computer. I don't need permission from anyone. And everyone in the world can run run this thing and and do it without someone in the middle. Right. So that's that's really the the simplest way to understand the concept of Bitcoin. And you know, we're gonna dive into kind of why, you know, it's it's kind of grown to to what it is today. Jason, do you have you know, anything to add? Is that the simplest way to put it? Do you have any other way that, that you describe Bitcoin? No, man, I think that was great. I was just kind of like humorously thinking to myself that it, it's it's kind of funny, like about that white paper, how matter of fact it was and, you know, when it was written. And we're going to get into the origin story of Bitcoin and, and the white paper and the announcement in a little bit. But it was written so matter of fact that it's like, do you think Satoshi knew I, I think he knew but you know it wasn't grandiose or anything like that it was just such a i'm working on a i'm working on a peer-to-peer -peer system that doesn't require any intermediary it's just a statement of like what what bitcoin was intended for and that's what we're going to get into a little bit today but man like it is it's out here it's changing the world i think if we look back to the previous episode where we talked about kind of like the, the effect on me as I realized how broken the fiat money system is, how 
bad money looks and it's what we have. And I think today we're going to kind of shift the focus to like what good money looks like, what great money looks like. And to quickly preface things before we jump into Bitcoin so much, we have to give a shout out to gold because all throughout Mm. history, we have had so many failures of fiat currency, like over and over and over again, right? Like over, you know, hundreds and hundreds of years of humanity, fiat currency has come up. It's costless to make, or it's very low cost to make. It's easy to inflate and it fails every single time. And every time it fails, we go back to gold because gold is the opposite of that. It's the opposite of fiat, right? It was previously the best form of money in that it's extremely scarce. It's extremely cost intensive and labor intensive to produce. And it's, it's just tough to go find, right? You can't go in your backyard and find some gold sitting around. And it did have some shortcomings too, right? So at first, when you first mine gold, you got all these lumps of gold and then you can melt it down and create bars. You could create coins, but the shit is heavy. If I want to go send gold to somebody who lives in China or Australia, I can't really do that. You know, it's, it's not very easily transported. So it became clear that although gold is a great store of value because of its scarcity and because it's not easily inflated, it has some limitations. And so what we moved into from gold is basically gold-backed paper notes, which is like basically just, just bills that say like, hey, this bill, this paper note represents X amount of gold. Pretty simple concept, right? Pretty smart concept. And of course, paper bills can be easily moved around and transferred. So pretty smart solution there for a while until the paper notes were you know, too easily created, I guess, and people started just printing the hell out of them and outpaced the actual gold supply. So that's what led to the fiat system where we are today. And I think when you look at Bitcoin, Bitcoin combines all of the best properties of gold and even takes them further in every single way, plus the network effects of the internet, making it just the best money in the world. So while last episode was kind of like, hey, here's everything wrong with money, we're going to now look at what everything right with Bitcoin and what good money should look like is here today. Yeah, I mean, we're in this fiat experiment because it was, we thought it was going to be for the greater good, right? You know, we had we had this gold-backed backed notes, but, you know, when we wanted to pay for wars and, you know, all the other efforts of you know, whatever the country's trying to do at the time, you know, that's that's where we needed to create more money out of thin air. And that's kind of where all the problems came into play. So simply to wrap up what Jason just said, Bitcoin is the best money that's ever been created. I have a pretty great visual to show you guys here just to kind of tie together like why, you know, gold was, you know, the best money used throughout time, right? So there's these different kind of, categories that that you can apply to money right so gold was used because it it took energy labor there was a cost to to create it right so that's why it was a a great store of value and something that you know people could use to to transact with but you can't pay for small dollar items with it right like you can't buy coffee with some gold you're gonna be 
shaving little pieces off or something like it just doesn't work and like like jason mentioned if you want to send some, some value across the world it's going to be extremely expensive to ship this heavy you know brick halfway across the world or, or wherever you're sending it right so that's why they came out with the paper notes you know it was great until we decided not to back the paper with gold and that's really what the founder of bitcoin the person that first discovered this they go by the name the anonymous figure satoshi nakamoto right it's it's kind of like i like to call it the the 10th wonder of the world or whatever number we're on because it's really <laughs> like the most mysterious thing nobody knows who this person is yet they created the best money in the world you know simply by combining the factors of of gold being you know the previous best money it had a few downsides you can see it wasn't portable it wasn't divisible you know it wasn't infinitely scarce although it was hard to you know it's hard to go mine gold no one can just go out and create more right so it's kind of taking the best pieces of gold the best pieces of fiat and adding a little bit more you know amazing characters on top putting it together to be you know the the best money we've ever seen anything to add to that jason no, I love this chart. I love it. And there's so much red in the fiat column. And that's where my <laughs> eyes keep going. You know, there's no scarcity. There, there's no cost to make it. I think there was a little cost to make it when it was actually paper. And now it's not even that, right? It's yeah. literally, it's, since, since it's all digital, it's just like punching a number into the computer. And it's so pretty stark contrast. That's Thanks for this, man. I love it. Yeah, 100%. I mean... Going from here, like, I don't know if, you know, many of y'all have heard the origin story of, of Satoshi and Bitcoin. You know, no one knows who this person is yet. You know, they, they jumped on a, you know, it's basically like a, they call it a cypherpunk or, you know, where these, these internet people that were all about cryptography, you know, talked on a forum and, you know, he basically dropped the, the white paper there and was like, hey, guys, check out what, you know, I, I'm putting together here. If anyone's interested in working on it, you know, it's completely open source. You know, he basically just made it available to the world. He worked on this thing for quite a while. He actually was the first person. I keep saying he. We don't, we don't know, you know, who it is or anything like that. But, you know, they... they mine the first blocks did kind of all the first processes getting this out into the world but you know the the beautiful thing here we, we like to call it the immaculate conception you know kind of in the in the bitcoin world basically you know they didn't use it to enrich themselves you see that today the people that are closest to the money printer you know the government see the most benefit because they create the money right you see that in crypto today as well when, when these tokens are created, the founders get extremely rich, right? But this anonymous person, and this is verifiable because it's an open network that anyone can view. When they created Bitcoin, all the Bitcoin that they earned through mining was sat in a wallet and never touched. So they did not do this to enrich themselves. It has never moved. It is... It seems to be locked. You know, they might be dead. No one knows exactly what has happened, but we do know that Satoshi did not use this to enrich themselves, which is honestly mind blowing. If you're sitting on, 
you know, a million Bitcoin right now. I don't know what the math is there, but it's an insane amount of value. It's, it's a chunk. It's a yeah. chunk. Yeah. <laughs> it's crazy. And it's never been touched. I mean, do you have that kind of willpower, Jason? I don't know if I would. <laughs> like, Dude, for the sake of the show, I'm going to say yes, but I think everybody <laughs> knows better. <laughs> I mean, that's why I think like it has to be like not able to be touched, right? Like sent to an address he didn't have access to or you know, burnt the keys to it. Like something has to happen where, you know, a person doesn't have access to that because, man, that takes some willpower not to touch. That's pretty cool, though. It's it's really cool to think about that. And yeah, man, when you think about today's crypto projects, like it, you often hear that referred to as a, a pre-mine, right? Which is just like the tokens are actually created before the, the, the ICO the initial coin offering. And it's like, if I go create a cryptocurrency, I create, you know, a shitload of tokens and I'm just going to like hold 80% of them in my back pocket and release the other 20% to the public. They'll gain some value, which is probably arbitrary. And then like the 80% I have, of course, has that value and I'm rich. The fuck is that? Right? Like that's, that's money printing. And so <laughs> This episode, it's not necessarily to, to sit and burn other crypto projects. It's, it's my hope, though, that as we look at these properties of Bitcoin, including the Immaculate Conception and the story of Satoshi, like it becomes clear that there has never been that motive involved, right? This was about creating a, a new money system to eventually become, you know, if you're bullish like we are, the, the global reserve currency once the dollar fails, or I guess, yeah, once the dollar fails, once fiat fails, which to touch on again, it has over and over again throughout history. And I think some of what we talked about in the previous episode is just like really strong evidence that we're at that point now of, of kind of like, there's no return on that. There's no going back, right? The inflation's too bad. It can't really recover. So Let's get into the weeds a little bit though. Like what is the purpose of Bitcoin? And like you hear a lot about, you know, I think people who don't know Bitcoin that well think of it as like this dark internet money. I think we all probably saw the news stories about the Silk Road and how some of Bitcoin's early use cases, right? And I think kind of like having that lack of knowledge in conjunction with some of these scary news stories, or, or at least they're scary in the way that they're spun up, leads people to think that Bitcoin is shrouded in mystery, that it's hidden behind curtains, and that it's shadowy and dark, when it's actually the total complete opposite of that. Bitcoin's main thing is that it's it operates as a, an open, a completely open and public ledger of transactions that any network participant running the Bitcoin software on their computer, AKA node is a term you're going to hear a lot. That's a computer that runs the Bitcoin software. Anybody can see this ledger. If I go send Alec five Bitcoin later tonight, because I love him that much. And I wish I had five Bitcoin to send them literally millions of people all over the world running the Bitcoin software can see that I sent Alec that Bitcoin. They can see that it came from my address and settled in his address. Like it is the most open and transparent thing. You know, what's not your bank, right? The ledger, like the bank's use case is maintaining that ledger behind closed doors, 
right? If I go to Chipotle right now and, and spend my money at Chipotle and spend $12 there, the bank needs to verify that I have that $12 in my account and that it's leaving my account and settling in, you know, some, the wallet of Chipotle, if you will, <laughs> right? You're oversimpl- over There's like five intermed- intermediaries at least in between that transaction too. That's true. Yeah. Yeah. There's, I mean, it's, it's a lot, right. But it's all happening behind closed doors. And I guess like in that example, it's like, all right, well, who cares? Does, does anybody need to see that I went to Chipotle? Well, no, but on a larger scale, when we're talking about like, well, I'm getting off, I'm getting off topic a little bit here, I think, but, but to kind of bring it back in like Bitcoin the blockchain, which is the term you hear about all the time, Bitcoin's blockchain, it is simply a running ledger of transactions. That's that's the whole point of it. Yeah. And I Alec, mean, I'm gonna I'm gonna let you jump in now, dude. The one thing that I always like to specify when we talk about blockchain, you hear blockchain this, blockchain that. Guys, blockchain is not the innovation here. The blockchain is a tool it's it's a ledger right so it's recording transactions in an open way so that that's all a blockchain is it's a very inefficient database but it keeps it's a very good source of truth and that's why satoshi had built bitcoin with the blockchain is to record all these transactions in an open and decentralized way so every single person that runs the software can monitor you know this this chain of transactions it's it's often referred to as a time chain too so it's kind of like time stamping every time bitcoin is created it's moved it's transacted with right that's that's all the blockchain is doing so any of these things saying like oh the new fast blockchain all this crap it's it's pointless like it's it's a good ledger that's that's really all the blockchain is, right? So it's pretty simple. Bitcoin utilizes that, and it's one piece of it. You know, and I I don't know if if I have anything else to add there. If you do, Jason, we can. Otherwise, well, you know, maybe we should go I, ahead. I think I think what I was trying to get to, you know, and I, I got a little off on a tangent, but what I was trying to get to here is like the importance of this this open ledger, guys, is that it allows for decentralization. Right. This is managed by all network participants. That's huge. Like that cannot be overstated. And the opposite of that is what we have today. Right. We use a bank to settle transactions. We use a bank to verify that if I send anybody money, whether it's Chipotle for twelve dollars or Alec for a thousand dollars, the banks and like Alec mentioned, a bunch of other intermediaries have to decide is that a valid transaction? Do I have that money? And we kind of trust them to do that. And in many ways, like I don't even really own the money that's in the bank. The bank kind of just like, there's a digital number assigned to my bank account. And yeah, I mean, there's just a lot of trust involved in that process when you have that third party, right? And we fully, fully rely on it. And that's completely removed here. In exchange for that removal, the blockchain is not a super, super fast thing. It's a little time intensive. And that's the whole point. That's the trade-off. 
So I just wanted to to put that out there real quick. Yeah, I mean it, it rids of the need of intermediate intermediaries. So I can send you money without the permission of anyone else or the assistance of anyone else, right? So that's really the cool part about Bitcoin. And you know we might want to dive a little bit into like you know we mentioned Satoshi first started mining. You've probably heard mining. It sounds like you know kind of what you know, going to get gold out of the ground, right? You hit it with a pickaxe. <laughs> not not really what we're doing here with, with Bitcoin, but, you know, it does take time, energy, and it's called proof of work because it, it really takes computational power to do this, right? So that's really how Bitcoin comes into creation. It runs, you probably hear like complex mathematical problems, things like that. It's an algorithm. Right. So these computers are, are running, running, you know, doing this algorithm and, you know, they, they, they get spit out some Bitcoin. Right. I think the simplest way to, to kind of put it is, you know, all these computers running at, at one time are competing for for the block. Right. And a good way to put it is kind of like it's kind of like rolling dice. So it's it's very, very randomized. Obviously, the more computers you have, it's kind of like having more dice. So the, the more computers we have on the network, you know, basically you're going to have a higher chance of running that. So if I'm running one on my computer and someone's running 100, they've got a much higher chance of winning that block than myself. But it's random, so it, it can still happen. I think I actually saw, I don't know if you saw this, Jason, I saw a Twitter post, a solo miner actually just won a block not long ago. That's pretty pretty freaking impressive it's like a once in a lifetime thing i've heard i've heard estimations saying like the that it could take like 70 years or something crazy for something like that to happen but it happens but it It happens that's how random it is so it's really just this computer network right and that's what that's what secures bitcoin you know it it takes a ton of computational power energy you know, not only the cost of the computer, but the electricity required to run the computer. And that's what makes Bitcoin valuable, right? So similar to like we talked about with gold, it requires people, machinery to go dig it out of the ground. Bitcoin has that same aspect where it's taking computers and electricity to generate this stuff. And that's what makes it valuable. It can't be created for free like the US dollar can. Right. right. So that's that's kind of the point of why we're talking about like the creation of Bitcoin. And it'll tie to kind of like we talked about gold being, you know, really scarce. It's it's hard to go get it. But, you know, we never ran out of places to mine gold. I'm pretty sure I saw a news story pretty. It was recently that, you know, there was a survey in some African country. I want to say it was Ghana or something. Sorry, it was a few months ago. But they just surveyed a ton more gold that's that's available to be mined, right? And who knows in the future if asteroids and whatnot are going to be able to be mined for gold, right? The point is, yeah. there's no cap on gold. Bitcoin has a cap of 21 million, right? So it's it's adding an additional piece on top of that gold being the best money. The fact that there is a set amount and there will never be more of it, right? Yeah, exactly. And yeah, I mean, when it comes to like the gold thing, there's people that'll tell you there's probably some at the bottom of the ocean and there could be, right? So like, we know 
that it's expensive and tough to go get gold. We don't know how much gold exists in the world, and we don't know what percentage is sitting in our reserves right now. We, we really can't know that, which is a really awesome quality of Bitcoin that we know there's never going to exist more than 21 million coins in circulation ever. I do want to the, hit rewind just for a minute. So we're talking about blocks and like the, the competing for blocks. What comprises a block? Like what is a block, physically speaking? What is a block on the blockchain? It's, it's just a group of transactions. It's all yeah. it is. So if I'm sending you a Bitcoin, that needs to be put into a block to be confirmed, right? So that's how transactions on Bitcoin are made. Essentially, you know, the miners are competing to have the right to win this block, right? When they win that block, they then can see all the transactions. I'm going to point toward episode three. We talked about mempool. These transactions are basically sitting there waiting to be added to a block. A miner is going to look at who's paying the most money right now on these transactions. I probably want to grab those, plug them into the block, I get paid, I get my block reward, boom, it's published. It's verified by everyone running the Bitcoin software, right? So that's that's what a block is, and that's how the blockchain works. It's pretty, it's complex, but it's simple. At the it's same complex, time. but it's not, yeah. And blockchain is like one of those words that's such a deterrent for people, but that's why I wanted to touch on that, is like, it, we talk about this running ledger of transactions. That's how the transactions, physically speaking, get posted in this time chain or blockchain is they're just grouped together in a certain fixed size, right? Like it's no different than if I were to say like, I'm going to post publicly every group of 10 transactions that happens, right? Every block or, or group or whatever that I post has exactly 10 transactions in it. This works a little differently, but it's the same concept where it's just a group of transactions. Again, I send Alec five Bitcoins later. Somebody else in the world sends someone else Bitcoin. And those are all transactions that could potentially be grouped into a block. When I send Alec the, that five Bitcoin, I have to pay a fee to do that, right? That's a transaction fee. And that's where like when they decide how to group these, transaction to, these transactions together, they're going to choose the transactions where the the sender paid the most the highest fees right because they get to take those fees the miner gets to take those fees and earn that reward in addition to the bitcoin itself that's issued when that block of transactions gets posted to the blockchain so hopefully i did i tie that together okay <laughs> did i do I that think all right i think you're trying to say that there's an incentive behind mining bitcoin Right. Yes. And a little wanting bit. to win a block and wanting to process transactions. Right. So it, it's it's really just the game theory behind this, right? Everyone is incentivized to run this network, you know, monetarily. It's a it's a group effort. Those that put in the work that invest the time and energy into the computers and paying for the electricity get the reward. Right. So it's it's a really equitable capitalistic true capitalistic system yeah right i we don't we don't operate on capitalism right now when money can be wow. created for free that's not capitalism so nope. this is a true capitalistic network which is freaking sweet one thing i wanted to bring up jason like we were talking about 21 million 
how do we know there's only going to be 21 million? I, I've heard Jamie Dimon say Sasoshi could pop up and just create more, right? <laughs> yeah, and that's a great question. So, like, we know actually ahead of time, it's hard-coded into Bitcoin that, yes, there's only ever going to exist 21 million, but we actually know the supplies, the entire supply schedule from now till that point, pretty much. Alec has a really cool visual for this, but I'm going to just like riff through it real quick. Basically, when Bitcoin was first created, right, right after the Immaculate Conception, and we've already talked about how Bitcoin gets earned, you post the, the block of these transactions to the blockchain, and the miner that does that earns that Bitcoin reward along with the fees. At that time, that Bitcoin reward which is called a block subsidy also, write that down, super important to remember. I'm just kidding, it's not. But as long as you know that that's how Bitcoin gets earned, that was 50 Bitcoin, which is kind of staggering to think about now, but 50 Bitcoin at that time. And every four years, that reward, that number of Bitcoin that gets earned when a block is posted is cut in half. It becomes exponentially more scarce and mathematically more scarce over time, which is genuinely like one of the coolest things when you really think about it, especially juxtaposed with the U S dollar or any fiat currency. Like this is just designed or even gold. This is just designed to get more and more rare as time goes on. So every four years, you know, in 2012, that block subsidy or reward of Bitcoin was cut to 25 right? In 2016, it was cut to 12.5. In 2020, 6.25. That's where we are today. And we have a halving coming up next year that will take us to 3.125. Now, you know, we think about decades from now, like it's going to be so much less Bitcoin earned. And Alec, why don't you pull up your visual? I think this is super, super cool. Okay. So like, Kind of like we can see here, right? We see that like the circulating supply percentage, you know, I'm looking in the, there it is, the block reward here. This is the column. The block reward starts at 50, goes to 25. We see where we are today. We see we're about to hit that 3.125. And then after that, the decimals just start like growing, right? The decimal points start growing. So in a few halvings, it's going to be less than one Bitcoin, like that's not that far away. This gets so much more scarce. Look in 2060, for example. It's like a fraction of a fraction of a fraction of a Bitcoin for mining these blocks. I mean, that's crazy. Dude, this is one of my favorite things to look at. And I apologize, my mic was on mute a second ago. <laughs> but like when people say like Bitcoin's too expensive right now things like that you know coin can be divided into these tiny little pieces right it's divided by a hundred million pieces and if we look at where we're at today we've gone through four of these halvings right we've got a long way to go until this thing's done printing bitcoin right yep. so you are still extremely early Right now, we're pr producing 6.25 a block. Next year, it'll be 3.21. But as we look, you know, a few decades out, it's going to be these tiny, tiny little fractions. Like if we look down here right now, this 2088 number, you can buy that much Bitcoin for like a dollar 
right now. Yeah. So yeah, it's nuts. If you could imagine these, you know, mining a Bitcoin, I I think the average cost to do it, obviously it depends on like your electricity cost, but it's like north of twenty thousand dollars. So this thing's gonna have to increase in value immensely to make this, you know, economically viable to continue mining. And that's really what the the game theory at play here is the the supply and dy demand dynamics of bitcoin are pre-programmed everyone can anticipate this happening and as adoption continues and as hash you know more computers come on the network i'm starting to use technical terms hash rate but you, you know stop more that you <laughs> stop that <laughs> more and more computers are coming on we actually i just saw another post like yesterday we just hit a new all-time high hash rate the number of computers running the network so it's continuous continuing to grow like this network has never been stopped it's continuing to grow and you can expect that to continue happening throughout time so i mean you could probably guess that the value of bitcoin is going to continue increasing and it's going to increase absolutely substantially like you know, people are saying a million dollars. I think it, it can go well north of that, especially when you're measuring in something like the U.S. dollar that is constantly created for free. Like more everything more. keeps going up in price. So like that's just going to be a, a, another multiple on top of the, the Bitcoin price and dollars. Right. So, you know what I you know what I can't stop looking at, dude. So pull pull that back up, actually, oh. just for one more sec. My bad. This is this is so cool. So we've. Like you said, we've seen four halvings happening, right? We're about to have our fifth one in a year. Let's just look at four more. So we got 24, we got 28, 32, and 2036. By then, we're already at like 0.4 of a Bitcoin. It, it like So, I mean, it's crazy to look at like the year 2080, how little that's going to be. Maybe we're around. I hope so. But just in like 12 years from now, right? Like we're already under half a Bitcoin as the block reward. Whereas today we're at six and a quarter. So again, like this is mathematically designed to just become exponentially more scarce very, very fast. We as humans, we know how we treat scarcity. It's where we drive value from, right? That's why we like gold. And when we look at the US dollar or any of the, these other fiat currencies that can just be created out of thin air and are being created at a faster and faster pace each day, they are moving in the complete opposite direction. So this is so bullish just to look at this. Sorry, dude. I wanted to come back because I, I was just focusing on like those next four, right? We've seen four already. What's four more going to do? It's pretty crazy. Yeah, absolutely. I've, one more thing to point out too is if you look on the far right column, the percentage of supply by 2036 99 percent of bitcoin will be in supply and we still have all these additional halvings right it's it's crazy it's going to be wild like it it just take a take a look at that chart and tell me like what's going to happen yeah and especially when you think about how adoption is becoming so much more widespread and like the people buying Bitcoin today, it's not the same as the people buying Bitcoin eight years ago. You have companies buying Bitcoin now, right? MicroStrategy, how much Bitcoin, their entire balance sheet is Bitcoin. <laughs> Square Basically. has a shitload of Bitcoin. Tesla. Uh, yeah, Tesla. 
and and think about like what happens when you bring in nation states right who have very fail like failing currencies when nation that's the next step here now that we have corporate investment a couple we saw you know el salvador the kingdom of bhutan has been secretly mining bitcoin for for years now Um, yeah i heard about that that's awesome I can't name them all off the top of my head, but there's there's a few countries that, you know, the governments are involved with Bitcoin. They they stack Bitcoin, they mine Bitcoin. Indonesia is doing a huge push. They just announced that at the at the latest Bitcoin conference that they are building out and incentivizing mining to to really help stabilize their energy grid. They have a ton of, you know, resources there that they're st- they're an island, right? And there's 300 and something million people on, on this island in the middle of the ocean you know they got all these ways that they can produce energy but they can't export it so might as well mine bitcoin with it and they can export the bitcoin right it's the game theory here is is incredible i know we're we're trying to keep things really just high level and simple to explain really what bitcoin is and the value behind it but like referring back to our first episode, it's really a rabbit hole. Once you start learning these things, you understand the money aspect, you can start diving into so many different topics. Literally, money touches every single part of our lives. So Bitcoin involves every single part of our lives. Like there's, yeah. I mean, that's that's how we have this podcast. That's how there's so many other shows about Bitcoin, right? It's such a massive subject. But I mean, th- there's really just a few key takeaways for those just just kind of starting to dip their toes into Bitcoin, you know, that you need to understand and, you know, come along this journey with us and and you're going to continue to learn more. I love it, dude. Yeah. And and those takeaways, guys, for 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 our viewers and listeners, there is a fixed immovable supply of bitcoin right it's predetermined there's never going to exist more than 21 million so and it's it's actually alec correct me if i'm off here dude but it's theorized that four million are just floating somewhere like dead on a drive that nobody knows where that drive is yeah i mean you've probably seen those news stories like people were sifting through you know the the garbage dump because they stored their bitcoin on a computer that they threw away and it's now worth hundreds of millions of dollars like sorry that shit's gone there's literally like four million bitcoin that cannot be you know can't be retrieved it does take a lot of self-responsibility which we've done an episode on as well to plug that with unchained but yeah i mean i think there's only going to be like 16 million really in circulation and i'm sure people will continue to lose it and be irresponsible so it's a really important thing to keep track yeah. of your bitcoin yeah and and so yeah i mean you subtract that like the the dead quote-unquote dead bitcoin or the bitcoin that's just kind of it's floating somewhere nobody knows where it is how to access it. it's never going to be found and let's say just for example just to paint a picture here let's say that you've got more companies kind of like MicroStrategy, you know, that are starting to, or a BlackRock that are go, you know, scoop up a million Bitcoin each, right? And add that to their balance sheet. Imagine a world where this 21 million total supply only actually has 10 million that you can ever get your hands on. How valuable does that become? How valuable? Right. Like that becomes extremely scarce, extremely valuable. And 
as adoption grows, right, you have El Salvador, you have other nation states starting to jump in. Those purchases are incredibly large and they're not going to like buy it to spend it and sell it, you know? So that's what makes this so beautiful is like, we can get it now. You can go buy some now at a reasonable, you know, it's relatively easy to get, but there's going to come a time where it becomes very hard to get your hands on Bitcoin. Yeah. I've, I've actually made a video about this before that it, it will be impossible to, to own one Bitcoin. Like if you're not stacking now, it will be impossible. If you look at like how many millionaires there are in the world, there's like 30, 40 million, something like that in the world. Not every millionaire can buy one Bitcoin. It's impossible. There's not enough, right? So we're still early. Get yours while you can. You know, I always recommend start with a small allocation, dollar cost average, you know, buy a little bit at a time and and just accumulate, treat it like savings, right? So, you know, you know, there's that hard cap and, you know, a, a lot of people worry about it being, you know, it can be banned, all this crap. And that's, you know, really the beauty of, of Bitcoin's decentralized nature. That's really the, you know, the second biggest piece here outside of the money aspect is that. It's something that that can't be shut down. You can try to ban it. It doesn't work. And there's no one that that can control it. Right. So it, it's out there in the world. It cannot be deleted. It cannot be stopped. It's it's really, you know, it's just like opening Pandora's box. Like there's no there's no putting it back at this point. Yeah, I love it. And it's also a completely, you know, you'll hear a lot in the Bitcoin community. This gets referred to as a trustless system or permissionless system. Again, what that means is that you have full responsibility and full control of your Bitcoin. You're your own bank. Now, again, asterisk here, if you custody, if you self-custody, and we did put out an episode on self-custody, please go watch it or listen to many of the other awesome Bitcoin podcasts out there that touch on that topic. If you're buying Bitcoin, keeping it on Coinbase, you have an IOU, you don't have Bitcoin. But when your money's in the bank at Chase Bank, you also have an IOU. Everything's permission-based, right? And so that's the beautiful thing about Bitcoin. It's a permissionless system, right? There's, there, there's no censorship at all. I could send my money to anybody around the world that I want to send it to as long as they want to receive it. And I can do that. And there's no intermediary to say, no, you can't send money to that person because of X, Y, and Z. It's just not the nature of how it works. hundred percent. You actually don't need permission to receive. <laughs> That's a funny thing. Like if you want to send Bitcoin to someone, there's nothing stopping you, right? If you got the address, you can send them money. So yeah, I mean, I don't, Nobody's I don't really have anything else. <laughs> <laughs> please let me let me just take my address. Let, it, Bitcoin, please. let, let that accident happen. <laughs> cool, man. Well, I think we've rambled enough. I don't have, I don't have too much more to add to this as in a simple way. So, anything else you got? No, just to kind of cap this off because I know we're sort of talking about like how this has changed, this whole experience of, of getting into Bitcoin has changed my view on things. One, 
just the sheer amount of responsibility to become your own bank has been a, a total mind fuck. It's been something that's really opened my eyes because you realize how much in your life you don't have total control over. And it is a huge responsibility to safely self custody, you know, your, your savings in Bitcoin and to do it the right way. But a lot of this, just like learning about these properties, like this is nothing I ever did before Bitcoin. I never woke up and said, I want to learn what good money looks like. I want to learn why humans value scarcity, right? Or like, permissionless versus a permission-based system. Like none of this stuff mattered to me. I didn't care about the supply of money in the system. I cared about the fact that the gas was getting more expensive, which is what we're all complaining about right now. But I didn't look for the why, you know, and I sure as shit didn't look for the solution. And this is the solution, guys. Like this is so exciting. It is the exact opposite of what we see failing out there right now in the world. And when the fiat system does collapse again, and, and I'll say it one more time, it's happened repeatedly throughout history and it will happen again. Rather than turning to gold, the world is going to turn to Bitcoin. I am so, so convicted on that. And that is what this is all about. That is what like gets me out of bed and doing these podcasts. I have a lot to learn. I learn a lot from Alec. I learn a lot from other podcasts. But guys, seriously, like challenge yourself just to look into some of this very basic stuff and it will change your views on things. And that's it, man. That's, that's what I got. Love it. Love it. Well, uh, we'll see you guys on the next episode. I, I really hope this was valuable. I hope you all learned something today. Bitcoin is a, a really vast topic. It is something that will absolutely change your perspective as the, of the world as you start going down to the quote unquote bitcoin rabbit hole you know seek to understand money how it works you know gold paper currencies and why bitcoin is actually the best form of money that has ever been discovered it's it's freaking amazing you'll get hooked to it you'll start diving down this rabbit hole and see how it affects your life constantly so please help us beat these algorithms share the video like subscribe we are on youtube we're on spotify we're on apple Podcasts. we're on twitter check us out i flagged our twitter page here you know it's at til underscore btc we try to post you know helpful you know intro beginner intermediate and some more advanced topics so keep an eye out for our next episode and we'll catch y'all next time